Welcome to Once More with Feelings, a podcast where we talk about the wicked and the divine and our feelings. I'm Kate. I'm Christina. And today we are talking about issue number 40. It's here. It's the beginning of the end. The final arc, the first issue of the very last arc. Yeah, the series in general is absolutely insane. Something to notice on the very front thing, we have a slightly new synopsis. Where Laura is no longer Persephone, she's Laura, descended god. And so the question is, what is she? It's no longer Persephone as in hell. It's Laura as a descended god. Yep. Minerva or Ananka. Ananki. Yeah. Ananki. 6,000 death-phobic years of lying and murder shows no signs of stopping. Yeah, we're going to get to that because I have so many ideas right now. Our head gods are now no longer listed as dead. Nope. We got head gods. We have four head gods. Yep, they're no longer read it out. Baphomet is now listed as Nurgle. Punderworld god. Punderworld god. I love it. Continues to build temple to abusive ex. Ball, fire god posing as a storm god, ex-lover Persephone and Inanna, sacrificing kids for the greater good. And read through that. There's a lot of fun puns. We're going to start this, though, with the ominous beginning of this issue, wherein there is a black page that just says, Footage recorded surrounding the events of the O2 disaster of May 1st, 2015. So already setting the stage, a disaster is about to happen. I read this at my comic book store in front of my lovely boss there. And I was like, oh, no, just out loud as soon as I opened this. This is also another interesting thing that was sort of glossed over. For the first time, the person on the front of the comic is not a god. Mm -mm. This is just a kid. We meet this guy. We meet this person who like is on the cover, but he's not a member of the Pantheon, past or present. He was not a god. He was a fan, and he apparently has been a fan for a while, and he vlogs about it. And it seems like this might be a trend for the final arc of showing the faces of the fans, the members of the Pantheon that surround all of this drama. Or the ones that had their lives affected by this drama, and a reminder that when gods fight, it's usually mortals that pay. Yeah. And we learned that this kid's name is, hey, I'm Tom. It's Tom. And his friend Nathan. And they're doing a Pantheon unboxing video where they have their ball tickets for Ball's last show. It's really sweet. This is a very YouTuber thing. Yeah. Against the Darkness is his final performance. He named it Against the Darkness. Yeah. Duh. The two of them, these two kids, they're clearly sitting in front of some gate or something as... They're opening up their tickets. They're filming this. The camera at one point gets, oh, sorry, I'm on vertical. Let's be professional. Switch to horizontal filming on somebody's phone, on Nathan's phone. I like that comment. (laughs) And the two of them are discussing how they're getting ready. They're queuing up for this gig, which is one week to go. They're already in line a week before this final performance. This sort of shows the scale of these things, like how important and big these things have become. But it's also mentioned that Tom here has a Persephone tattoo. Yep. I want to know what it is. We've actually seen Tom before in the comic. Somewhere, yeah. He showed up at one of Persephone's shows earlier in the comic. Oh, yep. Okay. He had his face painted like he does on the cover. A lot of the people who are in this issue have shown up earlier in the comic. Yeah. We find out a lot about that. I like how he's like, no golden circle bullshit. Ball remains a god of the people, which is hilarious. Mm, Irony. But yeah, so the last bit of this little vlog. 
This is where I cursed out loud in front of a small child. We're going to be in the front row if it kills us. And us already being primed that there's going to be a disaster at this arena go, oh, no. Or if you're me, you say, oh, fuck, in the middle of a public area. Yeah, with children around, apparently. Yeah, there's definitely like a four-year-old in the store. So we see Woden's, basically, it's like a little, what's the word, diagram of the stadium and how it was set up for this. It's like a PowerPoint presentation. It's like a PowerPoint presentation with, I keep forgetting the word, drawings. You forgot the word drawings? No, I forgot a fancier word, schematics. Okay. I forgot the word schematics for the stadium and what they have done to essentially try to harness everyone's power via Dio's ability that Woden kind of reproduced and stole and how they're going to channel it to call the great darkness in so they can try to kill it. Yeah, it's fun to look at. It's interesting to read how it is. The capacity is 20,000 people and it looks like a sacrificial weird altar thing. I think that's because it is. It is. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, no. Like, why are there those things around the stadium? Why are there these? Why is there that? This is a thing here. It says conduits duplicated from the 8th of March experiment. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if that was the incident at Valhalla or if this is another experiment that happened earlier. Some energy conduits that they tested out previously in the story. There's a psychic lure in the middle. Uh, lure, of course, implying that bait is going to be put there for some reason. Oh, shit. Did you just realize that? I didn't realize how bad it was. We'll get to that when we get to that page. We will get to that. There is a psychic lore, which magnifies the psychic signature of an individual placed in the seat. The crowd is going to be placed for optimum energies. There's a Dionysus mimicry psi-ound system, which is a terrible pun. But the idea is that this is going to be basically a big hive mind battery it's the incident in valhalla times a lot more yeah the thing that killed dio but a harder core yeah and next to security cam feeds yes we have Minnie and woden and ball standing in front of this presentation watching it we're being viewed from a security camera woden's basically just giving us exposition talking about how they're going to use this performance to suck up all of the energy from the people in the crowd and use it to kill the great darkness. Yep. And Woden is saying that he doesn't even necessarily know what it's all for. Just letting himself be used. Yeah, he says, this timer on the battery, I don't get what it's for. And Ball is just like, it's fine. I know how it's going to work. And Woden, it seems like he doesn't really want to know. He's just kind of like, whatever, and walks out of the room. He's fine to build these things. He doesn't necessarily know what any of them do, but maybe he does know. Maybe he's playing stupid. He's not the one building them, though. Well, no. It's his son building them. His son's designing them. Yeah. So we don't know how much Woden actually knows if Ananki is Minerva. I'm just calling her Ananki now because I'm angry. Ananki. <laughs> We're only 40 issues in, and one day you'll get her name right. Maybe. I'll pronounce it how I want to pronounce it. Okay. It's a written medium. There's no pronunciation guides. So like my mom called her Hermione for the first two books of Harry Potter. I did too, but I was like 11. I'm just saying there is in fact a correct pronunciation of the name. I think it was Hermione is how I pronounced it. Oh man, Americans. <laughs> 
Minerva goes over to Ball and is talking about how, like, you know, I could do it. Like, it comes to people who are close to you. The great darkness comes after people who are close to you. It could be me. Like, I could be the lure. And Ball's just like, no, I'm not going to kill many more kids. Which is dumb because she's going to die anyway. You should just use her, Ball. I mean, she is technically going to die anyway. And it's... <sighs> this is her manipulating him. She offers knowing he's going to say no. Mm-hmm. And we don't really get to see what the end of this conversation ends up being. And he says, I need you to protect the others as I make my way to you all. He's going to talk about more of what they're planning, but clearly Minerva doesn't want this to show up on the recording, whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. I think it's Woden probably installed that camera there. Oh, probably, yeah. But obviously she knows about it and she snaps her fingers and it goes out. Mm-hmm. Showing that she is more aware than she wants people to realize she is. And the next page, we go back to our fans making a comment about the food that's available. And there's their friend, Julie. And Nathan is like, Julie, come over here. You want to join us? And Julie seems uncomfortable and walks away, to which we find out that Tom asked Julie out knowing that she doesn't like guys. Knowing that she, yeah, is not into dudes. But apparently he's bi, so he was hoping that maybe I could be your exception. I mean, like, Tom doesn't seem like a bad dude, like, furthering into him talking about it. He realizes he messed up. Yeah, he realizes he messed up. He's clearly like, no, I messed up. I did this. But, like, my dude, that's really not how that works. Yeah, I mean, out of all of the homosexual people I know, I think I know of maybe one person who ever ended up with an exception. And they're, like, way on the other end of the belt. Like, Mm -hmm. they're rare. They don't usually happen. And he acknowledged it. And he's like, no, this is my fault. I'm just sulking because I'm still sad, but I'm not delusional. And it seems like both Tom and Nathan are in agreement that, like, Tom messed up by asking her out. Yeah. And Tom is like, she was so supportive about me being bi and, like, she understood. I feel like they're taking this in a very mature way, like, realizing how Tom messed up in this conversation. It gives you... A very in-depth, I think, look at who they are as people and their interactions with each other. They're not trash children. They're not trash children. They're good people just trying to grow up. But it's also interesting that this is being filmed again. So ostensibly, this is also going on the blog. Maybe. It could be they were just filming it with the idea of editing it later because it sounds like Nathan, who's filming it, didn't realize they had a fallout. Yeah, that is true. And then also remember this footage is coming out after this thing happened. So it could be they just decided not to edit any footage. Or were unable to. (laughs) So now we're cutting to what appears to be some kind of video diary where Ball, the ever dramatic, burns a hole into a calendar. Because apparently there's Pantheon official calendars. Yep. He burns a hole into May 1st. Because that's when he'll die. He expects this to be his last performance. He says so. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about how this is a whole new method, what they're going to do. Talking about the darkness, this time we will kill it with the death scream of all of those people. So basically making it clear, they're going to try and lure the great darkness into the O2 arena and use the life energy of all of the people there to murder it. At the same time, killing all 20,000 people there. Basically a large-scale version of Ball killing those kids, but on a 20,000 adult scale. 
Right. Because it's an over 18s gig. Because he's tired of killing children. So maybe if I kill adults, I'll feel less bad about it. Maybe instead of every month killing a child or however, I will just kill 20,000 adults at once. All at once. That'll make it better, right? Minerva has him so fucking brainwashed. He's clearly messed up about this. He's talking to his father, his deceased father. Mm -hmm. So this is possibly meant to just be sort of for Ball's benefit as opposed to anyone else. Maybe he never intended for anyone else to see this. But he is directing this to his father. You have to believe me. I'd save them all if I could. But what if you can't save them all? Save what you can. He sees himself as a hero and he's crying. I think he's not crying because he thinks he's right. I think he's crying because he knows that on some level this is wrong. No, I know. But he's doing it anyway. Yeah, but he's doing it anyway because he thinks that this is what will save more people. He thinks this will save the world. Yeah. He thinks this is a world-ending situation. To his credit, what he has been told. Yeah. And considering who told him, I can't blame him because that same person also told him you'll have powers and have to kill children. And hey, look... Everything she said has been true so far. Yeah. So we go back to our little babies who are still vlogging their week up to Ball's big event. And they're talking about Julie again. You still don't make any sense to me. Her being into chicks, sure, chicks are great. But men, who would do that? Basically, Nathan is asking Tom, like, how does a person be bisexual? I get liking chicks. I can't understand liking dudes. Yeah, I've heard that from straight dudes before. I mean, to their credit, a lot of men are gross. <laughs> yeah. I feel like everyone can agree that women at least put a lot more effort generally into their appearance than men. Also, bodies are weird and gross just in general, men or women. <laughs> You're not wrong. Everyone's gross. All of you. All of <laughs> us. We're all disgusting. We're all meat bags. Okay. <laughs> But this guy, Nathan, admits it was different with Ball and Inanna, and Nana was hot. Who wouldn't? So we find what Nathan's exception is, and that would be Inanna, which, to be fair... Inanna put off a very feminine energy also. Yeah. And I saw you smile, feeling better. So he's trying to cheer his friend up, and it's really cute, and they're cute besties, and it's someone trying to understand his friend who's come out as bi recently. Mm-hmm. And this kid's thinking, like, I remember when we met Persephone and what she said to call her the Destroyer. I know the feeling. I'm one too. I ruined everything. So he's talking about his friendship with Julie. Yeah. And Nathan's teasing him still. And he's like, I don't know. Something about how she said it. She seems so fucking sad. I don't think she meant it. I think she was trying to hurt herself any way she could. And still talking about Persephone. Yeah, which I think I like this viewpoint on Persephone. Like he doesn't know her, but it's interesting to see that point. There's some truth in this. It's an outsider's view of a character, which is something that we don't necessarily get to see because obviously these are very public figures. All of the gods are very public figures. And we know, as an example from Tara's issue, that there is a lot of talk about them. A lot of people talk about them. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to hear what these people who we've established are pretty good, insightful kids. They're probably young adults, maybe in their late teens, early 20s, who seem to have a grasp on themselves and their relationships. And they seem to be pretty empathetic to Persephone, or at least Tom does. Yeah. They're relatable. We've been there. I know a lot of friends who are really into My Chemical Romance when they're around and like follow the interpersonal relationships of that band. Yeah. Really, really hard. Like there was 
freaking fan fiction about it. It was kind of weird, but that's the thing that happened. Same with like One Direction. People followed that really hard. Almost any band, popular band, has like people both speculating about the people who are in the band and making up stuff about the people who are in the band. Especially the emo bands, to be honest, like Panic at the Disco. When they were still abandoned, not just Brendan Urie being Brendan Urie. Listen, pop bands aren't safe from that either. No, they're not. But that's how that is. And he's like, Ball's also Destroyer. He burned down Valhalla. So it's just talking about it and talking about Tara. They sort of move away into more lighthearted conversation. Yeah, I like it. It's cute. And I'm real upset about it because they're definitely endearing us to Tom to kill Tom. So then we cut to a different angle. We see Ball for the first time in sweatshirt and sweatpants. Oh, boy. And he's at his mother's house. I don't know who's filming this. I don't either. Maybe one of Woden's things. Yeah, it might be a spy cam. We're not sure. Ball was talking to his mother, who still refers to him as Valentine, Mm -hmm. which is his pre-god name. So he has not changed in her eyes. I mean, that's a very mother thing to do. Like, a good relationship with your mother? Yeah. And he's talking about his siblings, Alicia and Bobby. He's basically trying to almost get his mom's permission. Because if you had the power to save us, but it costs you everything, would you do it? As I was reading this, a creeping feeling grew into my stomach. Mm-hmm. Because it is him trying to get her permission without telling her what she's agreeing to, in a way. Yep. And it's not clear immediately to us at the beginning of the comic, at this point in the comic, what she is agreeing to. But it's clear that he's leading her into saying something. His mother is basically just like, you did everything you could, and I would do whatever I could to protect you all, too. And he looks upset. And his mom's trying to calm him down. She's trying to empathize with him, trying to talk him down from feeling like the weight of the world is on his shoulders. And he just says, you've never seen one of my gigs. This is the last one. Come. Seat of honor and everything. It's a reverse Abraham and Isaac that's being set up here. Yeah. Like, you can clearly see how much pain this is inflicting on Ball. Yeah. But he's doing it. And you can clearly see how much his mother loves him. Yeah, like, she wants to be there for him. She knows he doesn't have much longer if this keeps going the way it's been going. And I think she also believes in it because she saw what happened to her husband. Yeah. I'm assuming her husband, but Ball's father. And... Like, I think she believes in his crusade and that he needs to do this and that he's special and that she doesn't have a lot of time with him. And so she wants him to be as happy as possible. Like, she's being a good mom. He has a good mom. Yeah. That is still in his life. Most of the Pantheon didn't have that. This makes me upset. Here we go. And now this is Minerva or Ananka. Ananki. Whatever. I've heard it pronounced both ways. We've had this discussion. There is one correct pronunciation and we know what it is. Vote on Twitter. Oh, my God. (laughs) Jesus Christ, Kate. You know for a fact that you're saying it wrong. I do not. I know no such thing. Oh, my God. Whatever. Keep going. The tiny, immortal, death-phobic asshole. We see her in a series of circular lenses. Like a fisheye, almost. Yep. And she's walking towards it saying, you're awake. Good. Ball is going to sacrifice the entire crowd to kill the (laughs) great darkness. We know it's a fucking lie now because she's laughing at it. This is clearly from the beginning. The whole story about the Great Darkness has been a fabrication of Anankis. It has been something that she has told them to keep them in line. She's created a boogeyman. Yeah. If they start suspecting her, she gives them a different monster to fight. Exactly. Their death energies will release all the psychic fuel we need. Absorb it and return it here. 
take it in, process it, imagine me a plague. Not an actual plague. The last time I did that, I spent 20 years with pus leaking out of every orifice. Good. Gross. A mimetic infection. So we're going into some, like, Doctor Who shit here. There's some psychological stuff happening, yeah. Yeah. A new plague for a new century. A hyper-infective idea that will turn them against each other. They seem so enchanted with their zombie apocalypses. Let's give them what they want. I will seclude myself and avoid infection. And no, don't talk back. Shush, obey. Little creature, you're my monster now. So this is either Mirmir or her fucking owl. So I thought this was Mirmir. Or maybe the thing from the 1920s. Possibly. It's not really clear. She's, it seems like she's in a cave. If you look at the very little amount of the background that we can see. It does sort of seem like she's in a cave. It looks like where the heads were kept. Sort of. So it's very possible that this is one of the creations from a previous pantheon. Mm -hmm. It's possible. We don't know enough. I assumed that this was Mirmir. But when she's talking about absorb it and return here, we know Mirmir can't leave outside of the area that he's trapped in. He can't go about on his own. Yeah. So it could be the owl. It could be the owl. It could be a creation from a previous pantheon, a previous Woden. We don't know. I'm wondering if we've seen it somewhere else. Like, if she's saying absorb it and return here, I'm wondering if we see it somewhere in this comic and we just haven't noticed it because we don't know what we're looking at. Very possible. But she also insists they seem enchanted with their zombie apocalypses. Let's give them what they want. She wants humanity to turn on each other and destroy each other. It's a hyper-infective idea. Yeah. So it's not an actual infection. Have you seen the movie Pontypool? No. It is a zombie apocalypse movie, but the infection that causes the zombie like disease or what you could call it is in language. Mm. So there are certain words that become infected and cause your brain to sort of overload and override itself and you become just a rage monster, essentially. And so hearing these words can cause you to become infected. Yeah, which is what mimetic infection means. And it's been a conspiracy theory for a while. Especially with the age of the internet now, where either a visual or some kind of word or language thing could basically condition an entire populace to do a certain thing. So the idea that it seems that she's saying is that she wants to make a mimetic plague, and she's using psychic energy to do it. So this seems like something that's going to be just projected into people's brains. Mm-hmm. An idea, a thought, some sort of psychological conditioning, something that will start a literal or metaphorical zombie apocalypse where she'll be the only one to survive so this means this entire time probably since the black plague or earlier she has been biding her time to find when she can kill off everyone but herself i don't know if she's trying to end the world though not end the world but end humanity well no but again i don't think she's trying to end humanity i don't know why she would do that why would anangi do that because she's tired of them I don't know. Maybe without humanity, there's no more gods and she doesn't have to play this game anymore. But that would again lead to her death because she's going to die eventually. She's not immortal. She has to keep resurrecting herself and she has to keep doing sacrifices to continue that. So she needs humanity to continue. Oh, she wants humanity to go back to the Dark Ages, though, because then it's easier to pull the con over on them again. That's very possible. She says that she's trying to turn them against each other. Yeah. So it sounds like she's trying to create some sort of strife. She's definitely trying to separate people. She might be trying to turn the clock back so that it's not as easy for her to be discovered. A few issues back when we go to flashbacks of them talking, 
they mentioned to each other that if we have anything to say about it, there won't be photography in the next 90 years. Right. Because there is a concept in, I don't know if it's in history or in philosophy or whatever, there is a concept that it's called like a regression Mm -hmm. where some disaster on a global scale is so overwhelming and so many people die that humanity is essentially put back technologically to a previous point in history. So there's this idea that a nuclear war, for instance, could send people back to the Dark Ages. Yeah. We'd have to start industry and innovation all over again. Like, you could argue the Black Plague kind of did that in Europe. It set Europe back, not the rest of the world, mostly just Europe. Well, the thing about a disease is that a disease kills people, but it doesn't affect anything else. So the books, the history, the buildings are all there. A very destructive calamity, something like bombs or a war, definitely kills other things. And it sort of sounds like the idea of like a zombie apocalypse might start a war. That's true. Also, so I'm just trying to think back to things in history, and the thing that's been popping up to me is the Nazis burned a lot of knowledge along with bombing and destroying a lot of things back in World War II. Like, specifically for, I know I harp on this a lot, but it's because I've been studying it recently. Trans healthcare would have been decades ahead of where it is now because it was already being studied in Germany before the Nazis got there and it was starting to become it more accepted and there was a lot of scientific literature and then the Nazis burned all of it. So it sort of seems like Anunki is trying to set off some sort of disaster on a global scale with this power Mm -hmm. so that she can potentially set the clock back and make it easier for her to get away with her game. And then she can play the game for longer. Maybe. It's sort of like a maintenance thing. She's restarting the server so she can keep going. Yep. (sighs) So we cut back to another recording of Nathan and Tom filming them entering the arena for ball show. Mm-hmm. You see, like, the place is huge. It's all decked out with the devices that Woden has built or had Mirmir built. Yeah. And Nathan is filming and shows that Tom is being interviewed for something that's going to be on TV. And Tom, he just finishes up his interview. He's walking back. He seems distracted. And Nathan's like, hey, Tom, like, Earth to Tom. Around them, a bunch of people are filing into the arena. They're all headed towards the general admission area where they can watch the show. And Tom is fixated on Julie. And Julie is being talked to by this guy. And Nathan seems like, she's fine. Look, she's smiling. Maybe she is into boys, just not you. Mm -hmm. And Tom is much more perceptive. He says, no, she's being nice in case they get angry, which is 100% what's happening. Looking at the expression on her face is like, oh, she's uncomfortable. Looking at the expression, her body language, her arms across, also the fact that it's a blonde dude with a pink shirt with a popped collar. I'm sorry, but that just screams it's a warning label. He's a bro. Yeah. Like, ugh. Jamie did a very good visual reading to a lot of people of, oh, shit, I know this dude. Nathan even says, when did you get to be an expert in reading girls? And Tom says, I'm not. I just listened when she told me stuff. That's just them calling out all the dudes. I know. Oh, I love them for calling out all the dudes. You sure she wants you to get involved? And Tom's like, yeah, no, we're going to get involved. I don't know. But the thing about realizing you're a destroyer, it's a step towards not being one. Which goes to Persephone. Yeah. Like, real hard. This person is sort of paralleling 
Laura's journey in a way, like in a smaller way. Yeah. Like finding people, changing the way, ruining it somehow, and then realizing that you ruined it and trying to fix it. Gives them a step towards fixing the relationship because Tom goes over and is like, hey, Julie, we're off to the front. Want to come? And Julie goes with them and it gives her an out with these guys who definitely kind of looked at Tom like, what the shit? Yeah. And Julie goes with him. And it's like, thanks, God, those guys were the worst. So she definitely wanted that out. Yeah. And Julie's asking him, and we are. And Tom's like, it's nothing. It's not nothing. No, I'm sorry. We've got to look after each other. So he's like, I didn't mean to do it. No, I'm sorry. I was wrong and I was dumb. Yeah, he realizes what he did was on him. But it's also a thing where she thanks him for giving her the out. But you can see there's a little bit of trepidation still in her voice. She's not 100% sure of his motives for giving her this out. She doesn't necessarily be like, thank you so much for helping me like escape. Because there's a chance that he's doing this selfishly. Maybe he didn't actually notice that she was uncomfortable. Maybe he's just trying to, again, push his presence on her or something. And he's saying, no, you don't have an obligation to me. I'm just here to look out for you. Yep. God, less of this. It isn't the time for boring emotions. Let's get pushing. So Nathan breaks into it. Persephone and Paul army coming through. So they're making their way up to the front. Yes. This appears to be the official TV recording of the whole event. This is the actual, like, official recording of the concert. Ball gets up on the stage and says, there's darkness in the world and we're going to stop it. It's just like, oh, my guy. He's talking into a microphone with a giant glowing green cord. That's connected to the big old Dionysus mimic thing. Yep. And I love how Woden tried to make this look like Ball, but it doesn't. It just looks like Woden. It just looks like Woden tech. Yeah. He's trying to get the crowd pumped. We get a shot of his mother in the lure seat. Yep. She is the sacrifice. She's the bait. She's the bait for the darkness because apparently the great darkness comes for people close to Ball. He's sacrificing his own mother. Yep. Knowing she and everyone else in this arena is going to die. He erupts into lightning, says, I can't hear you. And everyone in the crowd immediately starts screaming and cheering. And his mother's crying. We zoom in on Ball and he's crying. Oh, yeah. He is crying as he starts. Yeah. Can I just talk about Julie's face real fast? I love it. I love her scream. They're all just freaking screaming. Yeah. Yeah. But it looks like they made it to the front. Yeah, they made it to the front, and I'm so happy for those small children, but also leave. Run away. It's so frustrating, and this is something that I was thinking about earlier. So it's clear that Ball picked his mother for this because he thinks that the Great Darkness is attracted to people he is close to. Yep. But I also couldn't help but feel that there was an element of this, maybe, that Ball is planning to kill 20,000 people in this space. Yes. Maybe including himself. We don't know yet yet. Mm-hmm. Do you think that he, his mother won't have to see it? Yeah. Sort of a thing where like he doesn't want his mom to have to live with that mental image of him having killed those people. Also, he doesn't have to face her after he does it. No. If he survives, he doesn't have to face her. He doesn't have to face anybody. If he dies, she doesn't have to live with this thought of him as a murderer. Yeah. If he kills her, maybe part of his justification is that it's mercy to her. She doesn't have to live knowing her son did this. She'll be back with her partner, husband, and still think of her son in what will be his glorious moment. Yeah. Because presumably that will be their last memory is him being glory on the stage. It's a lot. 
And you can see him kind of start to tear up there at the beginning. Yeah. Like, oh boy. The next page we go to, you see Ball's electricity going around him. And then we cut to, it looks like there's some kind of recording. So this is the interviews. Yes. And a guy saying, it's still a be there or miss it thing. God's performances don't record. But with the Dio Amplify effect, we should have total immersion events. So this is something where everybody will be completely immersed. And then we go to the lady we saw interviewing people. Well, here's a question. This is an issue I have with Wiccan Divine somehow. It's difficult to tell when something is meant to be a full page spread and when it's meant to be individual pages. I agree. I read it as it's meant to be individual pages, mainly due to Tom, actually. I feel like it might be a spread, though. Because they also do this weird, like, red-black kind of outline, and it's really just hard to tell. I read it as a single page. I don't know. How do you want to read this? I read it as a spread, because I read it as there's the guy in the television box talking about it uh, all at once. And then after that, it's just fan testimonials. Yeah. To be completely honest, I think it works both ways. It might not matter necessarily, yeah. Yep. So Ball's going to take them on a ride for 35 minutes, short and concentrated like a fine spirit. They could let off a nuke and no one would realize. In a world where no fucker turns off Twitter, this is going to be intense. So this is going to be a short concert. A very short concert, but again, a little bit of foreshadowing. They could let off a nuke and no one would realize. Yep. And the interviewer is like, we took a chance to talk to the crowd, the last gig of the first god to return. As we draw to the end, what are the memories of these momentous years? So also, this is kind of gross to me because these gods are dying. They're going to die at the end of two years. Like they've known that the gods are dying. They've lost most of them. And they're still acting like they're your favorite band who's on a breakup tour. Well, I mean, what do you do? I know. For instance, let's say that we knew before he died that Freddie Mercury had AIDS. And he decided that they were going to do a concert. Would you just not go? No, I would go. But there's something about the way she's talking about it that just feels gross to me. Well, maybe. They're trying to talk to the fans. They are making this out to be more of like a a happy event. But Mm -hmm. it's just sort of like a remembering going back and... Yeah, reminiscing. Reminiscing. They're reminiscing about the good times they've had. Like how these people affected you. What happened... Like, in the past two years that you experienced because of these people. Yeah. I mean, I get that, too. It's a mix. Also, we see in the next panel, Ball stops being lightning and goes into fire. Yeah. His eyes are smoking. This whole page just kind of cuts back and forth between the pre-recorded interviews with the fans and the live feed of what they're actually like. Yep. Because I'm guessing in order to record anything, they're recording the audience. Yeah. So... We go to a couple and it's like, you met Persephone, right? A few weeks after we started going out and her boyfriend with her is, yeah, kind of. And I don't remember where he met her. All of these people. So literally all of the people being interviewed, like that guy and the kid with the bowl cut one down and the woman. Well, maybe we're not entirely certain about where we've seen her before, but almost everybody else that's interviewed in these pages, the following pages, has been in the comic before. There was a post on Tumblr I saw where it does a before and after of where you saw some of these people. I need to go and find that post on Tumblr. I reblogged it, so you can probably find it on my blog. (laughs) Yeah, but the way he says that makes me think that he possibly cheated on his girlfriend with Persephone. Possibly? I can't remember exactly where all of these people are, but... Yeah. 
And then we see the couple like right after this interview, they're just opposed with themselves and they have like their eyes are glowing and their eyes are half lidded and they are just zonked. They're completely out of it. They're gone. There's another couple who's there talking about how they met at Persephone's first gig. Like this one woman pulled her partner out of the gig Mm -hmm. as it was going. And we then see them another part of the zombie crowd almost. Yep. She saved her future girlfriend from the bomb that Anonki released. And then we have a large wide shot of the crowd where it's the lights are all on. Everything is pink. The traditional like ball pinks and purples, except for the giant monolithic tower of green. That is the sacrificial chair. Mm-hmm. Then it comes to Tom. What were your fond memories of these years? And Tom despite having a vlog about the Pantheons, despite having a Persephone tattoo, apparently, doesn't seem like he knows what to say. Yeah. And then we cut to some other people. There's an older couple, a woman and a man, and the woman saying that it's her first gig. I had an ex who was into Pantheon studies, which kind of turned me off. And this is a funny thing, Kate. Is this Woden's ex? That's what some people are considering, because we've seen a picture of her. Yeah. And there are some people who are speculating that it might be her, but... Wait, is it his ex-wife? Possibly. Ooh. I'll send you the picture. Hold on. He would be the type of fucker that would also make sure she got a ticket to this. The image that we have of her, we can see Woden's wife slash John's mother in a photo once, like a fairly vague image. The features are not very defined. It's hard to tell if this is the same person several years later. Because, like, that was when John was a baby. Yeah. I mean, it's not impossible. It's at least, what, 18 years ago? Yeah. Maybe less. It's hard to say. There are some people speculating that this is David Blake's ex. Mm Mm-hmm. And to be fair, the guy she's with now, that looks like maybe she has a type because he does look kind of like David Blake. He does a little bit. And I think that some people commented on that also. It's like, "Eh, he's kind of a a little Blakey. But then we see her also standing zombie-eyed in the crowd. But her partner is nowhere with her. Well, he might be next to her. He just might be out of frame. Yeah, but that means he's a good, like, foot or two away. Okay. I'm just saying it's weird. They don't have to be on top of each other. (laughs) At a concert where everyone is trying to get to the front, yeah, they'd be on top of each other. Maybe. But then we have, again, Tom, who doesn't seem to know for sure what he has to say. It sort of cuts back and forth. The red outlined things are the things that are happening sort of like outside of the fan experience. Yeah. Like a wide shot. Yeah. So then there's the cut of the tower once again lighting up with everyone's psychic energy. Mm -hmm. And on the next page, we go to Ball walking off stage with one of the stagehands is even completely out of it. Like their eyes are glowing and they're gone. Yeah. It seems like everyone but Ball was affected kind of. Yep. And then we see a kid with curly hair and a hat. I was at the night when Sockmint went off. She invited me to the after party. I said, no, lucky, I guess. At least Paul is responsible and hotter, right? Mm -hmm. Child murder. To be fair, he's planning the deaths. He isn't just doing it just because. Yeah, it's like first degree murder as opposed to second degree murder, you know? Yeah. So which one is more responsible? (laughs) It's premeditated. Is that more responsible or less? Who knows? And then we go to... I think this is the Lucy lookalike that Persephone slept with. It is 100%. This is the Lucy lookalike that Persephone slept with. Her flat was a mess, but she let me take a selfie with her and I've never had so many likes on a photo before. 
So it's not even talking about the connection she had with Persephone, but the selfie. Yeah. And likes. Which also, to be fair, that's a very Lucifer thing to talk about. Yeah. And then we see the Sockmet cosplayer. My cosplay was so good, they thought I was Sockmet. They smashed my wall. They threw me money to fix it all up. I used the last of it on my ticket. So that poor Sockmet cosplayer. And then one more dude. I love this guy. I swear I saw Dio in a chicken's shop near New Cross once buying three cans of Coke. Fucking legend. I love this dude. I'm just imagining him as like some chav who's just excited because he saw Dionysus in a freaking chip shop. Ugh. Dio would too. Buying three cans of Coke. He's got to stay awake somehow. Yep. And then we see the lightning go off outside from whatever generators they have. And then we see three of the four people that we just talked to also zonked out, as well as our sweet babies that we got to know and love because Kieran likes to torture us. Yeah. Also zonked out. One of them looks a lot like Persephone. Like, she definitely modeled her hair after Persephone. Yeah, she definitely did. And it's sad because, like, it's the three of them. It's Tom and Nathan and... I can't remember her name. I want to say Jenny. Julie. Julie. It's Tom and Nathan and Julie standing there. They're completely zoned out in the zombie trance. And you see that they're holding hands over the banister. Also, it's really funny that you called her Jenny because I'm pretty sure that was Laura's little sister name. That was Laura's little sister's name. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little bit of fun foreshadowing. (laughs) So we then get to see this guy with the most dad mustache. So this is the cop that died during the raid on the Baphomet and Morrigan concert in like the third issue of the comic. When we first met Baphomet and the Morrigan. Yeah, this is the cop that Gentle Annie brought back. Yeah, that Baphomet lit on fire. Yeah, and he's here. He quit the force. He's trying to spend more time with his kids. It kind of seems like maybe he snuck one of his kids in because that child does not look 18. All the time I could with my little monkeys. Like, He's trying to be a good dad. He's trying to be a cool dad. He's trying to not work so hard and be such a hard ass. He quit the force. He's trying to spend more time with his kids. He might have snuck one of them into this 18 and over concert. Ugh. And then we have backstage, which I think this is Bobby, Ball's younger brother. Yeah, this is definitely Ball's younger brother. And Minerva is trying to talk him, saying it's okay. Like, I'm here to keep you safe. She's trying to calm him down. From what? We're not sure. And somebody's asking off screen, probably Ball, is there any sign of the great darkness yet? Mm hmm. Then we have the hand holding. Then we have the hand holding. And then finally, we have Tom who knows what he wants to say. And he kind of takes a little bit more of a somber route than everyone else. He's kind of in a sort of in your vein, Kate. Yeah. And he says, You think it's going to be a fun time? And it is. Like, you know that. It's fun. But it's a lot more than that. I'm just grateful we got to be here, all of us. We're history. He's viewing this from such a monumental framework. His point of view is not just how this has affected him and the fun that this has been. He understands that these gods coming back and for once being so publicized, unlike how they've ever been before. Mm -hmm. Before they were hidden a lot more. Yeah, this is a huge thing for history. This is monumentous. And he's just grateful that they all got to be there to experience it. Mm hmm. The line were history also alludes to the fact they're about to die. Yeah. Yeah. Dang, there's so much foreshadowing in this stupid issue. (laughs) And then it cuts back to Ball backstage saying it'll all be over soon. Yeah. To his brother, it looks like. Yeah. And his brother, I think, can tell. Like, I don't think he knows what's going on, but something's wrong. 
You can tell something's wrong, definitely. I think he also doesn't trust Minerva. So trust your instincts, kids. Yeah, seriously. And then we go to... I'm going to pause before I go through this page just to talk about the pacing of this issue when I was first reading it. It goes. Like, I don't know how, but it felt like going up to the top of a roller coaster really fast. It had such... It escalates. And it was like a continuous escalation. Yeah. Where you could feel like there's a couple sweet moments in there and a lot of human moments, but at the same time, it just keeps going up and you know it's going to something awful. It's building the tension and this is the fall. Yep. Where we see the O2 center and then it explodes. And we even see like an image of something in the explosion. Well, this looks like the previous silhouettes that we've seen of the great darkness. Yeah. Which, again, either it's not real or this is not how you kill it. Because Minerva seemed really amused by the idea that Ball was going to do this to kill the great darkness. Well, it also looks like it was obliterated, though, so she could have called something to make it look like it was obliterated. She could have. She could have done something, like, made some illusion. The Great Darkness is just a whole bunch of nanite owls. It's just a whole bunch of very small owls all working together. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're birds of prey. They can do some damage. Because this is clearly being filmed. Yep. In the next subsequent pages, you see this thing get again broken up and then there's just like all this smoke and basically there's a crater where the arena used to be like everything is obliterated in that space yep the camera went out of focus everything is on fire that third panel looks vaguely like a mushroom cloud yeah so it's possible that this was intended because this is being filmed from somewhere else it might be that this whole like showing the great darkness like appearing over the arena and then getting obliterated because the thing is it wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there until it starts exploding. Then you see it. Yep. And I mean, that could be something to give to the media. Like, this is why we had to do it. Or right. this thing attacked. Yeah. It's basically having an out. It's having an excuse. Something that deflects blame. Yep. But also, this would probably, realistically, if things went the way Minerva was planning, this probably would have been what Minerva had used to manipulate a catalyst into a massive world war. Possibly. Framing somebody else for this happening, maybe? 20,000 civilian casualties at a giant arena? They definitely had this plan before the Ariadne Grande bombing. Yeah, before her show in London. Because obviously this is coming out much, much later than that, but... They had this plan back a while ago. Or they're alluding to it. It might be like sort of both a contextual reference. Yeah. But the next page, it's a total eclipse. And I really want to... Total eclipse of the heart. Thank you. Turn around, bright eyes. I love that stupid song. Fun fact, that song is about vampires. It's about vampires. I love that stupid song. Yep, go watch the music video. It's 100% about vampires. So this next page, things aren't as bad as we thought they were. Yes, there's a little bit of a silver lining. Yep. And we hear what I'm guessing is Nathan going, fuck, if we were still in there. Are you okay? Shit, Nathan, what even happened? I got footage. And the footage is, everyone stay calm. I'm here to save you. I'll put you all under and guide you out. Trust me. So it wasn't Paul that put them under. I mean, not finally. What happens next is we see a close up of Tom's phone and we see Laura at the microphone saying it's going to be okay. Yep. And she's a little bit more put together. 
though her head is still shaved, but she got some eyeliner on and she has like jeans. Like she's not in her sweatpants that we saw her in last time. She's no longer wearing yeah, the depression sweats. Yeah, she doesn't look like a depression monk. But here with the arena exploded behind them, we know that Julie and Tom and Nathan were in the front row. Mm-hmm. So if they got out, odds are most people got out. Yeah, I'm thinking what Persephone did was she basically took them all underground far enough and then brought them back somewhere else, which is why they all had to go under. And that's probably what that meant is I'll put you all under and guide you out. Yeah. Not necessarily like under the influence. So she is talking the microphone. It's possible that she like is doing the hive mind thing just to keep everyone coordinated and calm. But from the sound of it, none of them remembered what happened. Yeah, because he says, I got footage. And Julie's saying, what even happened? And so it's possible they don't remember. So yeah, it seems like she probably put them under the hive mind effect from the microphone because she's there. So why not? Meaning she understands somewhat of what they were doing there and also her powers now. Like she can control her powers again. Yeah. She at least can do something, and she- 20,000 people out is more than something. (laughs) Well, here's some questions. Like, how did she get inside of the arena? How did she know what was going to happen? Like, how did she get people out? You see a crowd of people. You see a lot of people escaping what was literally like a bomb going off, exploding this entire arena. Yep. And it's Laura S. Machina. She just showed up and fixed it, and we're sort of left to wonder, how did you do this? How did you know? Yep. Which hopefully will be questions answered in the next issue. I'm wondering if she was able to get to Cassandra and Cassandra is able to use like her powers to kind of figure this out. Very possible. Maybe Laura has other ways that we don't know about. Yeah, it's possible now that Laura might be able to divine for herself or she just knows now how to spy on the people she needs to spy on. Yeah. And I love this repeating motif of it's going to be okay. The phrase it's going to be okay or the opposite of that, which we frequently referenced is it's never going to be okay or it was never going to be okay. The idea of it being fine, of things being all right, is repeated throughout the comic. And Laura herself has been divided on whether things are going to be okay or not. Mm -hmm. If things going forward are going to be all right, if it's going to work out. And here she is telling people like one of the last things that we know of Laura was she finally came to this realization that it wasn't going to be okay but she's now calming the crowd down telling them she's going to take care of them it's going to be all right again next page for a certain value of okay is that the name of this arc it's going to be okay uh probably that would make sense I think there was some kind of okay commentary in it I can't remember exactly yeah which also would suit with Laura saying that line that's the end of issue 40. It's a lot. It was a lot. It was a beautiful roller coaster. Definitely get this issue and read the letters because there's a wonderful letter that starts with, here's the thing. I thought I understood Wictive. I really did. I gave smart academic answers to its theme and structure, found a way to ask Kieran a question at a book talk, went back and grabbed a phonogram and read the appendices like Tolkien wrote them. Like this guy was doing it. And then I went and saw Florence the Machine and I realized I knew nothing. <laughs> so... The letter's much longer. I'm kind of just like paraphrasing it. But yeah, go check that out. I need to try to see Florence the Machine, to be honest. Have you seen that video of her singing as the storm comes in? Yes. I think we've talked about this video. Yeah. I love that because she literally just is like standing there with her arms out as the wind flutters through her outfit. And the dude playing drums in the background is just trying to keep his cymbals from falling over. It's so good. Also, didn't that storm happen in fucking LA? Did it happen in LA? That happened in LA. 
That's hilarious because it never rains here. <laughs> yeah. She called a storm in L.A. <laughs> That's amazing. And so the next issue, it looks like we're getting Mirror Mirror on the cover, mm-hmm. which means probably going to find out more about him. Hopefully. I need to figure out what Minerva was talking to. I need to see it. I need to know what it is. We've probably already seen it. That's it for this week. Next week, we will not be going back to issue number 18. Because mm-hmm. next week, we're talking about the new comic from Kieran Gillen. Die! <laughs> yes. Which we've already read. Yep. And it is so good. Just that first issue, I'm immediately in it. Like, that first issue, I'm like, oh, I'm here for it. Yeah. I knew you would be. Written by Kieran Gillen, art by Stephanie Hans, who is the same artist from the Amaterasu issue, mm-hmm. which was one of my favorite of the special issues. Like, the art was beautiful. She also did the 18-something issue? Yes. The 1800 special. Yep. Stephanie Hans just does such good art. She does very good art. 1833, that was it. I think also, after Die, we should probably go ahead and skip towards the Christmas special. Because it's that time of year. Oh, yeah, that'd be fair. That's fair. Yeah. So I need to dig out my Christmas special from somewhere because I think I have it somewhere or buy it online again. And they're non-chronological, so we can make it work. Yeah, they're non-chronological. It'll make your heart ache. It's very good. There's dicks. There's dicks. It's all good stuff. But so, yes, next week we'll be talking about Die. If you have not read it yet, you absolutely should. If you like nerd stuff and also like deep, sort of psychologically disturbing fantasies from Kieran Gillen... (laughs) If you're a fan of Critical Role, uh, you should probably read it. You just read it. Just do it. It's so good. If you like stories and D&D campaigns that completely break your heart and disturb you and possibly give you nightmares, this is definitely for you. This is only the first issue out and I'm already so hyped for this stupid comic. It looks so good. I've talked with one of my friends who she's in the industry and she has been able to read ahead a little bit and she's like, oh, it keeps going. I love it. So we're going to be talking with that next week. We hope to see you there. Or, well, hopefully you're listening to us. But you know what we mean. Yep. Until then, you want to tell them where you can find us, Kate? Or do you want to do a first let's do recommendation? Other than die, number one. Yep. Other than die, number one. Or maybe that's a recommendation. Go read die, number one. Yeah, that could be a recommendation. Also, Winter Soldier, number one, just came out. I haven't read it yet, but I'm curious to check it out. Oh, nice. If your heart broke when spoilers for Avengers Infinity or you saw Bucky go away and you need more Bucky in your life, probably check out Winter Soldier number one. I think it's supposed to be good. I forget who wrote it, but I remember looking forward to it. Well, all right. With that ringing endorsement, Uh, if you would like to point out something that we missed from this issue, if there's some more theories that you have, do you think you know who Minerva's talking to? Do you have an opinion on the was that was that john's mom in the audience how do you pronounce ananka ananki we know if you want to shame kate (laughs) you can reach out to us through our email and our twitter our email is once more with feelings podcast at gmail.com and our twitter is at feelingscast. you can reach out to us on either of those ways please do to tell us your feelings about the Wicked and Divine. It's a home stretch, guys. We only have five more issues after this. Well, no, is it five or six? 41, 42, 43, 44, 45. Five more. Jesus. Okay. Yeah, but definitely reach out to us. Tell us your theories, thoughts, concerns. I still want to hear how y'all think Woden will die. I'd really like to hear those theories. He's gotta die before this ends, right? 
He has to die. He has to die. They have to be killing him before this ends, right? Yep. Kieran, I know you totally listen to us. You have to kill Woden in a painful way. Please, for us. Just something super satisfying. All right. Well, until next week. Bye, Kate. Bye, Christina.